is your truck and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I'll be joined from the guys from uh, Pittsburgh Power. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, upgrades, modifications, troubleshooting, electrical emissions, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to those calls in a little bit. I want to bring in the guys from Pittsburgh Power. Looks like we've got John and Bruce and Ethan. You guys must all be in different places today. Welcome. Hey, Kevin. No, I'm on a headset, and Ethan is, but John's at the Atlanta Truck Show. Got it. So John's on his cell phone right now. Got it. There we yeah, go. I'll, I'll be your roving reporter. Perfect. Perfect. So, uh, well, I'll let you guys start then. I don't have anything this week. It's just been a uh, crazy week trying to catch up on stuff. But we have a lot. Okay. We have, we just had a D-Deck 5 towed in a week and a half ago. And a, uh, a young man at a, that works at a truck dealership somewhere East of here decides he was going to make some changes to the ECM. He went from two degrees advance that it calls for to 15 degrees advance. The truck ran for a couple hundred thousand miles and was drastically overfueled, but it broke a wrist pin. And half the wrist pin broke and came out and broke the liner into the water galley. And fortunately for the owner-operator, the piston continued to travel up and down and stay in the piston bore, so the rod did not go through the block. It took eight hours to get that piston rod and pieces of shattered liner out of that engine. So we were able to save the engine for him. And then Ethan got on and found that it was 15 degrees advance. And what's happening too many people are putting too much advance in. You shouldn't put any advance in. You should stay with the factory timing on these electronic engines. They're hammering the pistons, hammering the wrist pins. We're finding uh, we had a couple ISXs in with the rod bearings beat out. Uh, this particular Detroit had lost its wrist pin, and it can beat holes in the steel top pistons. And if you recall my articles from years ago, whenever we had aluminum pistons, we always had to retard timing as horsepower increased. And even if you go back to the drag racers when they started doing supercharging and then turbocharging, whenever they did that on gasoline engines, so they had to lower the compression ratio and retard the timing. So it doesn't matter the fuel, doesn't matter the engine or what color the engine is. It's just a fact. That's the way it is. You you have to retard and lower compression is horsepower goes up now fortunately the engines coming out of the factory are between five and six hundred horsepower so the compression's good and the timing's good and we can get by by adding 100 to 150 horsepower because the computer changes the timing and i'm going to let ethan talk about the isx timing 
Yeah, the, the ISX actually calculates, and a lot of the new new uh, ECMs do, they have a calculation of their cylinder pressure. So when we, you know, as we advance timing, we advance cylinder pressure. So, you know, the OEMs have spent a lot of time, effort, and money, calc- you know, physically measuring the cylinder pressure and giving the ECM a very good number to start with. So it, it, it can actually control its own cylinder pressure based on altitude, uh, you know, the, the conditions of outside temperature, you know, uh, factors that could affect it and cause damage the ECM can adjust for. Okay, interesting. So, you know, this is one of the things that kind of this this topic, you know, the idea of there are only so many things you could do mechanically, and you can usually spot them, but the dangers of people getting into the ECM, and they can do so many things in there, we, we can't see. I mean, if you don't have the ability to go in and look at this, the, the owner of the truck doesn't even know this stuff is happening sometimes. And you may not feel a problem until it becomes a problem, because, you know, you don't know the cylinder pressure. Right. So as it's hammering away, it's going to run great up until the moment of the failure. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's kind of scary. So there is technology yeah. today. I'm seeing that uh, there there are some cylinder pressure sensors that uh, that new Mazda we talked about does uh, does watch cylinder pressure and it feels and times accordingly. It's, it's really interesting. Huh. But uh, that whole subject with the timing is something that's kind of kind of peeved me on the trucks. Uh, you know, from my 40,000 foot view of it, you know, over the years, uh, I see what the computer is making their way onto, onto the diesel engines into the heavy duty world. You get these, you know, kids that know how to tune a Honda or something, and, you know, the quick way to make power with one of those is to throw some timing at it, especially if it's not turbocharged or supercharged in any way. So you put timing at it and you give it a little bit more fuel, and all of a sudden you're making more horsepower. And that philosophy seems to have crept in with the computerized engine because, like, like Bruce said, back in the old days, it was unheard of. Right. You know, we built a high-horse engine. We are pulling timing out of it. We were, yeah. we were playing around with different right. uh, keys and different timing, you know, different methods to time the, the, the cam to get the, 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 the injection timing back, basically, the, uh, you know, what it was doing with the cam lobe on for the inject- injector to get the timing out of it. And would make up for that, would make the power by adding fuel and adding enough air with the turbo to make the horsepower and not create cylinder pressure. So, you know, but, but in, the, in the gasoline world and then computerized world, shall we say, it seems that that philosophy crept over from the street tuner kids to me and the, and the diesel engine is what's, what's caused this. And again, it's a feel-good, sound-good thing. You throw some timing at it, immediately the driver feels it, and it sounds cool and everything else, but uh, it really does not, uh, is really counterproductive. Yeah, you know, and in a case like this, it, it does manage to make it a couple hundred thousand miles, which is a long time away from the event that started all this, but it's pretty obvious that's what caused this failure. Right, yeah. So, yeah, be careful who, you're, who you have tuned in your truck, that's all. Yeah, good lesson. That's right. So... Hey, uh, you guys want to hear my my quick uh, quick take on the on the new show here in Atlanta. Yes. If, if you're interested. Absolutely. It's uh, first take is it's a bit more upscale than, than Matt's. I've not been to Dallas, so I can't, I can't speak to that one. Uh, it is definitely geared toward fleets, um, but not, but not, it's not completely overlooking owner operator. There are a lot of small 
you know, manufacturers here with products that would interest owner operators. There's still some shiny stuff here. Not a whole lot. Uh, I just, uh, just spent about 15, 20 minutes with the fellows from MD alignment. They've got a booth here right now. I didn't realize that they that fleets were a fairly big part of their business as well. So they've got a number of fleets who use their, use their equipment and their, their alignment philosophies. So, but it's, uh, it's interesting, but, uh, yeah, first take, you know, first take is it's a little more upscale. It's, it does cost money to get in. You're not bringing your kids here. No one under 18 is wild. It's, uh, it's definitely business oriented. But, you know, your, your average owner operator is a businessman and it's probably somewhere you should be. Uh, technology seems to be really showcased. A whole lot of ELD stuff. Um, a lot of uh, after treatment parts and pieces and things which interest me. You know, stuff that uh, we can maybe be carrying in the shop or, you know, maybe build some uh, vendor relationships while I'm here. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff. And the biggest thing that, that strikes me is uh, the manufacturers have their show trucks here. They've got their uh, the international super trucks here, and it's gorgeous. And it's obvious that it works. You know, you can see that they've had it out tested. There's wear on the tires. There's you know, there's dirt underneath it. It's, uh, it's a working prototype. Um, Volvo hasn't got theirs here, but they've got an incredible display. Detroit is really featured here. I guess they're one of the major sponsors of the show. And, you know, with their relationship with Daimler, we're right across the street from the Mercedes-Benz Center, which used to be the Georgia Dome. So that uh, seems to be a heavy, heavy uh, Daimler influence, which is which is interesting. But uh, I believe it's worthwhile. It's going to happen every other year, so it's not going to be next year. It's going to be the year after. Uh, I looked into that this morning. And it's, uh, it's, a neat, it's an interesting show. Uh, conferences going on everywhere. There are, uh, are rooms. There's... Uh, you know, all big freight type stuff, but there's a lot of meetings, a lot of, a lot of business happening here. You know, that's interesting. I, I'm glad you went because I, I thought about it this year and with just everything else that was going on for us, it was just too much this year, not knowing for sure. But now hearing that, um, I will certainly plan on going two years from now. That may end up being my most productive truck show with that kind of education going on and the you, technology... You you would do well to be here this year. Yeah, I mean, it was off our radar because of the CMC. I hadn't thought of it. And then last minute, I got a got a call from Steve Crone, or said email from Steve Crone last week. He got me some VIP passes to get in yesterday and to one of the receptions. And he, I was very on the fence about it and uh, really glad I came, though. So, like I so said, we've made a last-minute decision to send me down here. And it was worthwhile. Like I said, Steve put it over the top. I wasn't sure if I was going to come or not. And then... Uh, my friend who works in Messiah Valley also wanted to get together and talk to me about possibly uh, doing some work with them. So, uh, so it was worthwhile just for those two things. It was worthwhile to get here, and I've seen a whole lot more since. So it's a very interesting Perfect. show. Perfect. Hold that thought. We're going to get to a break. We'll be right back with more stuff. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Bruce, John, and Ethan from Pittsburgh Power with me. Right now we're talking about the new truck show in Atlanta. You know, John, like I said, this year just wouldn't have worked for a lot of reasons. But one of the things I didn't think of, one of the reasons why it would be really good for me to be at this show, is it's the only show that I'm not already swamped doing seminars and meetings. And I could actually go there and learn something. Yeah, absolutely, and there's there's there are things to be learned here. Uh, one another take I've got, and after talking to the fellows yesterday who did the uh, a couple of drivers who did the uh, the run on less deal, um, you're you're way ahead of your time here. But but I think that the norm is going to become eight, nine, ten miles per gallon. Um, I really think that the part of the disruption you see coming in trucking and. Everyone wants to talk about automated trucks and other technologies that are happening. The technologies that's happened and is making it to market right now are trucks that are going to get nine miles per gallon and ten miles per gallon. So I really believe that some of our some of our guys, some of the people that we're working with, if they're still driving six and a half, seven mile per gallon trucks, they've got work to do because the next thing that will happen is the freight rates are going to reflect that. There's no way the market's not going to adjust to these more efficient trucks. So. Our owner operators that are still out there, you know, driving around and things that get six and a half miles per gallon are going to be in trouble. I, I really, I, I can't believe that a fuel surcharge is going to be based on six and a half miles per gallon in the near future if there, if it goes that direction. So I, I really see a disruption in the in the market, a little mini disruption for the big one that we, we've been talking about. You know, it's interesting that you bring this up, and we should spend a little bit of time on this, because I think you're right. I haven't addressed this yet. I've been kind of holding off on this. A lot of people don't even understand how the fuel surcharge works. But it works, and it works really well, and it's not going away. It's a perfect system for this industry. Now, it's only needed. We only really need to calculate a fuel surcharge on a long-term contract. So if I decide to contract with somebody, a shipper today, and I'm going to move the same load every Wednesday for the next year, and we settle on a price, here's the price. Well, that's when we need a fuel surcharge for both of us. If we price it today, fuel could change drastically tomorrow. Happens all the time. So we need that. You know, we we don't want to have to keep changing the rate. That's why we booked this load for an entire year. We signed a contract. We keep the rate consistent the whole year. We adjust the fuel surcharge to make up for that that volatile fuel price. So if I'm booking a load today and I'm only pulling at one time what we call a spot market, I don't need to calculate a fuel surcharge in this contract because I know what the fuel price is today and I'm pulling the load today. So, but that fuel price is always going to affect the rate, whether it's a, a true fuel surcharge or just a straight rate. So what you're saying is absolutely true. And, you know, we've gotten pretty lazy. Those are calculated on six miles to the gallon. So as long as you get six or better, that fuel surcharge keeps you even. doesn't matter if fuel goes to $10 a gallon. Nobody gets hurt except in the interim, the short term. It takes a little while for it to catch up. But if we start, and, and John, I think you're right, at some point the industry and the shippers are going to say, wait a minute, why are we calculating fuel surcharge on six? Trucks are getting eight all over the place. Once they adjust that, boy, look out. The, the little 
fleets and owner-operators that haven't kept up with fuel mileage are going to get screwed. It will put them out of business. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a scare. Uh, that's, you know, that, that to me, that's the, and I look at all this stuff and I love it. And the uh, Micros, NACFI thing, and, and bring some of these technologies to the forefront. And fleets are paying attention to that. And I've got to believe that the rates are eventually going to, you know, when the, when the bigger carriers adjust their rates accordingly, and they're going to have to stay sharp with the other ones. They're going to have to compete with other fleets that are also getting eight or nine miles per gallon. Yeah, the, the rates are going to come down. Yeah, so there's just no way they're not going to. Yep. Yeah, really good point. So, uh, anything else, or should we get some calls? No, let's get to some calls. Let's get to some calls. All right, let's go to Colorado. Mike, you're first up today. What's on your mind? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, Bruce, I've heard you uh, mentioned a couple times in the past, but you've got a, a rule of thumb for horsepower per inch of boost on the different motors, Cummins, Detroit, Cat. What What is right. that real quick? Well, what engine do you have? Well, i got a Series 60 Detroit that's running a D-Deck 3. D-Deck 3? Yeah. 16.8. At okay. the higher... At the higher throttle settings, the higher boost settings, at 16.8. Let's just let me verify that. Sixteen point six. Sixteen point six. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, the the now keep the in mind if you're going you along guys- the if you're going along the level and you're using eight or ten pounds, it's more like twenty five horsepower per pound. The horsepower drops off as the boost drastically increases, like up around 30. So if you're going along the level or a slight grade and you're using 14 pounds and you can ease out of the throttle and get it down to eight, that six pounds could be as much as 150 horsepower. Okay, well, I I thought it was very interesting the way you guys open because that was my second question was i have noticed i was wondering what they were doing inside the ecm because when i'm in the low range say the first four years i will never be able to build an eight pounds of boost uh now once i get into my upper range and the road speed is up then i'll start building more boost but you know i i try to drive by my boost gauge and and minimize it whenever i can so, okay, well, I, I appreciate 13, that. you have a 13-speed? Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed that if you drop down a half a gear sometimes and ease out of the throttle and maybe lose a mile an hour or two but bring the RPM up a little, you can bring the boost down? Yeah, that's uh, – I drive in, in Colorado, New Mexico, Wyoming, basically the Rockies. And so I've been – you know, I've had a, quite a – quite a few real world examples of being able to play with what happens with the different gears versus what the boost gauge is doing versus how the engine's feeling basically you know that's correct when you, when you get because you got a lot of pulls you know it's not it's not like iowa where it's all gentle pulls either so you got gentle and then right. you got steep but anyway well um thanks for that answer i appreciate it you're welcome thanks for the call we're gonna head off to Tennessee. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I got something for uh, Pittsburgh Power. 
I got 12-7 D-Deck 4 Detroit, and I'm wondering how much boost is too much boost for that end of the bill. Well, how much? How many pounds are you building? Well, since I air to air had leak in it, and I replaced it, and it'll build fifty pounds of boost. Fifty pounds is a lot of horsepower out of that engine. My general okay. rule of thumb for longevity purposes is forty is as high as I like to set it. If you're going to go for a real longevity. 45 is a, we'll call it a high horsepower one. Um, and at, at a certain point, the head just can't take the cylinder pressure being created. 40 is 672 horsepower, flywheel horsepower. Wow. That's 50. If you have the right turbo in there and you're making 50. Yeah, you yeah, that's very You could be making 830 horsepower. Okay, so I need to run it at 45 or less. 40 or less. 40 or less. And factory setting is oh. 30 on a 500, so if you can get the job done at 30, use 30 if it takes more. And if you need 35, use 35. But but don't sit there on long <coughs> poles at, at 40 and 45 pounds. It's too much. Right. Okay. I, I thought you guys would know. My second question is, when you replace the injectors now, each of them injectors has a number on it. That's got to be matched to the ECM, right? It, it depends on, yes, but it depends on make and model of the engine. They're all a little different. Um, Detroit uses a, a, a two-digit number. Uh, Cummins, up until the common rail, they the ECM will self-determine this number. The, the, the CAT has a four-digit number up until the ACERT. The ACERT then has a, like, it's a, oh, a 10 or a 12-digit number, I think a 9-digit number, and then it has a 4-digit number as, like, a password, and you require a CD that comes with the injector to do that. Uh, so they're all a little bit uh, different, but de- yes, almost... Uh, my Detroit operator is it? It helps uh, with the balancing of the cylinder and cylinder pressure and smoothness of ride. All right, hold that thought. We've got to get to a break. We are coming right back with more of your calls and questions right after that. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Bruce and John and Ethan are here with me, and we're going to get right back to your phone calls. We're off to Texas. Cheryl, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. I think this is going to be an embarrassing call for me, but um, would excessive blow-by cause the filler cap on my 99N14 in a Volvo 770? Could that cause that filler cap to blow off? You, you bet it will. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Because yeah. I was just in a performance diesel shop uh, hoping to get the overhead run and ask them a few questions because I just felt uh, quick history. The coolant filter came off. My engine overheated, ended up on the side of the road, and um, got it back going. It started back up, but it hasn't felt right. <laughs> and this truck has gone through. Uh, consistently gone through a gallon of oil, 3,3500 miles. And um, John, actually, we were in there a while back, and you had noticed that it was losing oil at the uh, manifold. And you can see it coming out the exhaust down on the frame rail. So I've known all along that this, something needed to get worked on with this truck, and I picked a very bad business partner. So I'm limping along here trying to make things uh, get to where I can get that engine fixed. So um, their assessment was that, you know, if I'm lucky, it's just the cylinder, but I might need an entire in-frame. This truck's got a million and a half miles on it, and that this is my advice portion of the question. Um, it's been a good truck. That coolant filter coming off is the only time she's left me on the side of the road. She's got some weight issues and fueling and whatnot, but, you know, I'm happy with it. If I can get away with just, you know, the one cylinder, I mean, it's, Five six thousand dollars. Would you guys think it's worth it? To uh, absolutely not. Never ever with a one point five million or one point four million miles. If you're over eight hundred thousand on an engine and you lose one cylinder, you put all six in. Okay. Okay. So, but and so then that leads to the next question: If it's a matter of doing a complete overhaul on it, you know they're looking at about fourteen fifteen thousand dollars. Um, you know, I couldn't get another truck for that, and I know this truck. And like I said, she's been real good. Um, so even at a million and a half, it'd be worth it to go ahead and uh, get it done. At a million and at a million and a half, I don't think they can do a thorough rebuild for fourteen thousand dollars. You need to put a camshaft and cam bearings in that. Uh, you need a oh, portion uh, damper on the front of the crank. I left out one incredible so, piece of information. I, I apologize. <laughs> this may change your answer. It's got, when, uh, when we bought it, it had 225,000 miles on a Cummins documented in frame. It's now got 372,000 miles on a Cummins documented in frame. Does oh, yeah. That, that change your answer at all? That changes things. As far as the one <laughs> cylinder? Okay, I thought so. Yes. I apologize. I'm a little overwhelmed here. I just, you know, I just got parts from leaving the shop. And so, uh, <laughs> so let me ask you a question. You've got what six hundred thousand since an, since a rebuild? Uh, three hundred and seventy-two thousand since the rebuild. I thought you said there was two hundred and twenty some thousand when you bought it. On the rebuild, when I bought it. Okay, and you put how many miles on it? Uh, looks like I've put about one hundred fifty thousand. Uh, uh, I've put one hundred fifty thousand miles on it since since we bought it. Okay. 
So we're under a half a million miles, and you're using a gallon of oil every 3,500 miles. Yeah, and actually it just dropped. It dropped to close to 2,500 just in the last... Do you do oil analysis? I do, and I just pulled the most recent one, and I'm... Uh, I gotta get it sent in, but the oil samples have been coming back clean. There's no wear metals. There's no coolant. There's no fuel dilution. I mean, the, the oil samples have been really, really clean. Uh, the base has been off, though. Um, uh, tell me, tell me what your iron and your silicon is on your last sample. Let me pull it up real quick. It's got it right here. Oil samples. Okay, oil sample Here it is. Okay, Hopefully I've got a good signal here. Uh, on the last sample, uh, again, which ones were you wanting? Iron. Iron. Iron is 16. Wow, it's low. Yeah. What's your silicon? Silicon. Uh, six. That's low, too. That's good, too. So I wonder what's wrong. You could have a turbocharger issue. Does it have blow-by at an idle or just whenever you're pulling hard? Um, an idle, because uh, we were sitting there idling, and he pulled the cap off at the shop, and he said it pretty much the pressure plate almost blew it into his hand. I've since, like, wow. jerry-rigged a cardboard gasket to keep that cap from coming off because it came off after, like, you know, 50 miles okay. when I replaced it. Well, at this point, I would say then you do have a cylinder that's out of it, so I would be replacing one cylinder. Okay. And All you'll right. determine that once you, pull, once you pull the head off, when you determine which cylinder it is, then you pull the head off, you look at the sister cylinder beside it, and if it's scored badly, then you might as well pull the other heads off. But if it's just okay. one, then just put one cylinder kit in it. Okay. All righty. And then, um, so but let's, let's take the worst-case scenario, and they say, look, you've got a whole mess in here. We probably should do the whole nine yards. At fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 on a million-and-a-half-mile truck, would you guys do it if the truck's been good otherwise? Well, of course. Absolutely. Little, yeah. Little stuff, you know, stuff that wears yeah. out. Blower motors and, you know, straggling. That's okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So, that. Uh, I've been real happy with her. Yeah, it's worth doing it. Okay. Well, great, guys. Um, I appreciate the confirmation and uh, every, everything you guys do. You're welcome. Thanks for help. the call. Thank you. Let's head off to Indiana. Randy, welcome to the program. Hey guys, I've got a uh, 2004 International ISX. Uh, my jake brake is working, but my there's no difference between my second and third stage. I had a couple days off in the Midwest. Went to the local uh, international dealer. They said my turbo vanes were were um, uh, carboned up. So a tur- one turbo later, I still have no no uh, stage three uh, jake brake, and I'm not headed. Towards you, I'm headed away from you. Where do I go from here? Okay, let me add and say something about the turbo, and then I'm going to let Ethan talk about the Jake brake. When those veins get carboned up, I just had a guy take his apart a couple weekends ago, and he cleaned it up, 
put a new actuator on it. The turbo's working perfect. He had a couple hours labor in it. You can always take that turbo off, take that take that turbine housing off, and get some brake clean or some solvent like that, and clean those fins with a with a toothbrush or a, a, a small uh, brass brush. You put it back together, and free them up, and you can save yourself the price of a new turbo. I heard. Uh, I heard that. Talk. I heard that show, and uh, it was, I was breaking up a little bit, so I couldn't remember if it was a, if it was an ISX or another kind of turbo. But uh, uh, I do have. Uh, I did have a million four hundred thousand on this turbo, so I thought I would go ahead and get lucky and just go with it. Yeah, I agree. A million four, I would change it too. Ethan, you want to talk about the Jake break? Yeah, how many pounds of boost is it making on a when you're turning the stage three on? Uh, I can't tell you that. I don't have a boost gauge. The most we ever got out of this when you guys did the dyno was like twenty four, twenty five. Okay, one thing is, and it, it's tough to do a diagnosis over there, but you over the, the you know, speaker, but. And I seen this one time, and this threw us through a loop on the shop for a short time, where the truck had a, a Jake issue, and it, you know it, what we did is we would cycle it in the laptop, and it said everything was okay, but one of the solenoids on the Jake housing was actually it would look like it engaged, but it wasn't physically engaging the entire way. Um, so what we did to actually find that is we took there the on the ISX on the driver's side of the engine right there on the the head and half you know right on the side is a port where two wires go in you know like a semi-round connector we pulled that off and i used a tool called a power probe and while it was sitting there idling just like on the old big cams we energized the jig brake one of them fired and the other one didn't even though you would watch the solenoid click it wouldn't turn the jake on new solenoid and probably went away Got it. Hold that thought. We've got to get to a break. We will be right back with more stuff. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Got John and Ethan and Bruce with me here from Pittsburgh Power. We're going to get right back uh, to the phone. You know what? Let's go back to Randy in Indiana. Randy, did we get your question answered there? The uh, That solenoid, is that under the valve cover or is that on the side of the block? And that does that affect the third stage of the uh, of the turbo, of the jig break? I'm sorry. Well, on the ISX, yeah, it's like three stages. But uh, it can, in a way, yes. Because if it's not routing the oil you know, through the, the housing correctly, it won't fire entirely. So it, okay. it, it, it's very possible that, that there's an issue up there, being that the turbo is brand new. Um, but, again, you can always be suspect of new parts also. Um, but I would check to make sure that the solenoids are firing properly before you go okay. and, you know, to take the turbo off. It's a quick test. Um, all you really need is to turn the truck on, you pull that connector off, and, you know, I use the power probe, but, you know, a wire from the battery to the, just touch it. Now, make sure you fuse it, so in case you slip, you don't cut, catch the wire on fire. And this way, it won't, you know, do any damage to any other electronic components. Explain a power probe. Ah, a power probe is a tool that is, I, I like it. Basically, it's a little handheld uh, unit that when you push the button, it is capable of putting 12 volts out as like a, a test tester. Um, so you right. have the ground and then you'll power, you know, you click it. Um, they're not very bad in price. I think they're about $150 and I use it all the time. So it helps test okay. the circuit. You can test individual pieces. Fantastic. I appreciate that and appreciate what you guys do. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Ohio. John, welcome to the program. Yeah, how are we doing today, gentlemen? Good. What's on your mind? Quick. Uh, Hi, John. I got... Hey, John. How's it going? Uh, I got my... my, uh, Pretty good. I got my little favorite truck, got my new truck, all that. Everything's going pretty good, especially with that... uh, tune that uh, Ethan put in it, but uh, I'm just having some issues with the, uh, again, the transmission. This has got a 10-speed in it instead of the 13, but uh, I've been looking for a 13. But anyway, I, I come up on, uh, I get a lot of emails from Cummins, or from Eaton, rather. I, I swapped out several transmissions, and they got a new 12-speed automatic. What do you all think about that 12-speed automatic? versus maybe, because uh, I've been looking for a 13 to put in this truck. Well, it's the first yeah. I've heard of it, so I have no comment. Okay. <laughs> they they have it. They've got that on display here. They're working in conjunction with Cummins to try to keep up with Detroit and the DT-12 coupled with the DD-15, it seems. So they're working really close with Cummins on this new 12-speed. I briefly talked to somebody about it. I did not get any of the ratios inside or anything. But it, it, that is that is transmission is built to compete with the new uh, DT-12, uh, the uh, the Freightliner transmission, the Allison. So that's um, it's not an Allison. It's a, it's a Freightliner transmission. But, uh, yeah, so that's uh, they've got it on display pretty heavily here. I've not looked into it, though. Okay. So it's not really... Available as an aftermarket thing yet? 
I'm not sure. I, I could find out for you, John. Give me a call on uh, Thursday. I get back in Wednesday afternoon, but give me a call on Thursday. I'll uh, try and have some more info for you. All right. That sounds good. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ask the rep while I'm here. All right. All so, right. Yes. Sounds good. John, that, that's the transmission. They're working on a lot of the same features, right? The free coasting, the uh, potential to match that yeah. with the, yeah. the GPS data and all of that. And they're building it in conjunction with Cummins. They're working together with Cummins on it to, to try to to try to compete with that new transmission that yeah. Detroit's got. Yeah. Got it. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing what else is new on that too. Let's go to Colorado. Rod, welcome to the program. Hi guys. Um, I had a question on uh, power boxes and uh, programming ECMs. Um, I've got a six NZ and I bought the power box. I was at Bruce's. Uh, almost a year and a half ago, and uh, I went with the power box to have the flexibility over a program DCM. I'm wondering, is the program different than any one of the settings on that power box? Yes, um, because you, the power box and the program, they, they, they both add horsepower, but they do it in slightly different ways. Um, the ECM, it's you know, it, it has control over what it, it knows is going on. Where the power box, it, it's like an it's an add-on computer. It also has a few of its own features built in, you know, to protect the engine. But okay. The power box, the power box is a great, the power box is a great item if your ECM is properly set. If the ECM has faults in it setting out a bad signal, then the power box cannot uh, make it right. So uh, if you're ever here, let's just make sure the ECM is good, and then the power box works great with a good ECM. Okay. And that was my next question, um, because in the last couple of shows, I've heard you mention that again, uh, with a, a good signal. You have to have a good signal to start with. And, right. uh so when I was there and we we dynoed the truck, um, you know, I think it was on level two. We were putting out uh, 650 on level four. It was 712 to the ground. And uh, But I don't recall it talking anything about the ECM settings. And would, would Ethan, would you have hooked it up and checked the ECM settings at all or gone through it at all? I, I would have looked it, looked at it, but I won't remember it off the top of my head. Being that was so right, long no, ago no, there, but yeah, I would have. Yeah, I would have looked at okay. it. Um, by the sounds of it, it sounds like it's set to a six hundred, uh, only because they were based on what the box would have output. Um, but that's a, a, a guess. Where do you live in Colorado? Uh, north of Denver, Longmont. Okay, okay, I know where that is. This winter when I'm out there, I will have a remote tune kit with me so we could get together somewhere and we could plug it in and Ethan can look at it and make changes if we have oh. to. Well, I've got the perfect place. i got a nice indoor heated shop. and More than welcome to show up, and I'd appreciate that. I have another friend up in Longmont that redid a 359 Pete, and he uses it in the morning. He's not in the trucking industry, but he was raised in it. And he uses he rides his Pete every morning to Starbucks to get his coffee. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, I, I'm still trying to make a living, so. 
and I don't care for Starbucks. He he works for an oil company. He does computer programming for an oil company, but he can't get the truck. You know, you can't take the trucker out of the or the truck out of the trucker, right? That's right. Vice versa. He was raised in it, and uh, so that's his addiction, and that's how he satisfies it. We have about seven hundred and fifty horsepower out of the four 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 in it, and he just bobtails it around. There you go. We're going to squeeze in one, one, one more call we've got time for Wisconsin this time. Doug, welcome to the program. Hello. Hey, I'm looking at a 96 International with a, uh, oh, it's got an M11 Cummins in it. Um, I'm just curious how much horse I can get out of that or don't bother or because of the loads I'm looking at or pretty well right at, you know, I'll be grossed out all the time. I, I'll throw in my opinion. I would skip it. <laughs> Skip it? Okay. I, I, I would. I, and, and the re- a couple reasons. There's so many engines that would work so much better, especially at 80,000 pounds or anywhere near it. That wasn't a real strong engine. Most of them were ending were you were doing in frames on them at seven or eight hundred thousand miles. I researched that engine a lot when um, Detroit dropped their 11 liter. I was thinking about going because I wanted to stick with an 11 liter, and I looked at them hard and couldn't find any good reason to own one. Okay, okay. Yeah, and um, that year is going to be the select ECM. I did one of them in the shop. And I think I got about 70 horsepower out of it there to the wheels, which it was in a little dump truck type setup. Um, an extra 70. Yeah, an extra 70. And, it, you know, the guy was pretty thrilled with it because it was underpowered to begin with. Okay, okay. I got one more question, if you don't mind. The guy's saying he keeps, every year he twists the drive shaft between the two axles. I just can't see that with an M11, but... I can't see that with any engine unless well, you're just really abusing it. Yeah. And yeah, I that be another With that, we've, we've got to cut you loose. We are completely out of time. Thanks to the guys from Pittsburgh Power for helping us out again today. If you have any other questions, give them a call. We will do it again. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford.